0: I always heard from my mom, dad, grandparents, that when you give, you should never expect anything in return, but the karma will always come back and you'll get it. You'll, you'll get it in return, maybe not from those people. And today, none of my mom's siblings live in those slums. They're all very well off. And I feel like a lot of what I am today is inherited karma and blessings from the deeds of my parents and my grandparents.
1: Welcome to Humans of SaaS. I'm your host, Ben Nguyen, and on this show, I talk to entrepreneurs, innovators, and leaders from the tech industry who each have a unique and compelling story to share. Lloyd Lobo is the co-founder and president of Boast.ai, which automates access to billions in research and development tax credits and innovation incentives so companies can fuel their growth while preserving equity and avoiding red tape. I have lots of friends who have done shred applications in Canada who could sorely use their service. Uh, Lloyd's also had a really interesting and amazing entrepreneurial journey and life journey so I'm very excited for you to hear this episode you might notice we sound a little bit different today I'm recording uh, at home not in the studio at the office because we are in the middle of the Omicron spike here in New York so wishing everybody just a safe and and healthy weekend and excited to be back in studio very soon for some new and exciting episodes enjoy sweet well cool to meet another uh, Torontonian transplant to uh, to the US. So you said for med, your your girlfriend was in med school was that when you moved to the US?
0: Yeah, I moved to the US in 2006, uh, a year or so after I finished engineering and uh, yeah, my girlfriend was and now wife was in med school in New Jersey, so I followed her along. Okay. Um, and then she got into um, a residency in Philly, We moved to Philly, and then I begged uh-huh. her to move I begged her to move to San Francisco because there wasn't much of a startup scene on the Eastern U.S., East Coast U.S. in 2006, six yeah. seven, right? So I begged her to move. We fought a lot about it because all her family, <laughs> all her friends were on the East Coast, and I begged, begged, begged. It. She said, I'm going to apply to one university for a fellowship. If I get in, we're going. And by the way, it's Stanford, and they don't take anyone from outside. Uh, it's going to be impossible. She got in. We spent the last... Ten years oh, in uh, San Francisco, and the rest is history across a few startups.
1: <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Uh, what's what kind of uh, doctor is she? What is she? What's she, her
0: focus? She's an ER physician, uh, research doctor in
1: uh, ER ultrasound. That's awesome. Yeah.
0: yeah, I lucked out, man. You wanna you wanna do a bunch of startups. <laughs>
1: you marry rich maybe <laughs> <laughs> well i mean she wasn't rich at first i mean maybe she was but um, she wasn't yeah, she I mean, wasn't
0: when we moved to san francisco i mean getting paid as a fellow is like peanuts right and then you know yeah. i i started when we moved to sf so making no money uh, it was bad but
1: you know it finally figured itself out it's yeah no maybe don't marry money but marry potential to marry, marry financial potential you know there um, there's light sure. there,
0: there's light at the end of that tunnel right with startups it's hard right like you know it you're gonna a lot of light right with, with, but like you know there's there's more certainty there right it's like okay you go to med yes. school then you become a resident then you maybe do a fellowship and then you get a job and you know what the pay is going to be um with startups you don't know right I and mean, you know I've, I've been a part of now a few startups and you know, boast is the only one that's, uh, that's taken off. So, um, there yeah. was that learning, but me and my wife now, it's, it's funny. She, she's, everyone asks her, like, did you break up with her, him when you went to college? And she's like, I tried to break up with him, but he didn't let me.
1: <laughs>
0: that's it's so funny.
1: You say that. Cause I, but my partner and I had this exact same situation. Because we also started dating, we were uh, in, our, in, like, in high school and went to prom and all that. And then when I was going to the East Coast, I was going to New Brunswick for university and he was going to Montreal. And I was like, we're gonna break up. And he was like, no, <laughs> basically just forced it. So that's it, what she, uh, she, mean,
0: she, it... she said. She said to me, oh, you know, everyone in, uh, all my cousins, all my friends are saying, you gotta break up when you go to college. And I'm like, what kind of reason is that? <laughs> do you want to be with me? And she's like, yeah, I don't want to break up. So then I'm like, no, we're not breaking up just cause, cause. Right. And then now yeah. 15 years or 20 years later and, uh, and three kids in. <laughs> wow.
1: That is amazing. And it's funny that that's been the, I, I, there are definitely some parallels here. Cause, it, but it's funny, I was going to say before you're saying that like, you know, tech is the uncertain route and then, you know, the med school and going down that pathway was there's more certainty, which is totally true. But, but, you know, again, sort of a funny parallel, because for us, for my partner and I, tech is our steady thing, like me being because he's a photographer. So for me, like I'm the right now, the steady, you know, this is a proven career path that I can go down in terms of at least working at startups and, you know, series A and B. and building well, But, you out. know, let me Whereas, let me
0: clarify there. Right, I'm saying being a founder is an uncertain path. Yes. But like tech is tech is pretty de-risked right now. Where you know you're you're in a great company like Catalyst, and in fact, I know Kevin for a long time because in my previous startup he was our first paying customer at DigitalOcean. Oh really? Uh, yeah, yeah. That's how we know each other. That was so. Which startup was that? That was Speakeasy. It was a, a calling app for salespeople, and uh, and Digital ocean was using it for their sales team to do conference calling. And and basically, what we do is automatically update the CRM. Once the call is over and generate a next set of action Mm -hmm. items, but that the calling tech never worked. It kept like hanging up like 10% of the time. We (laughs) we shattered the company, but that's, that's how I know Mm -hmm. uh, Kevin, right? I mean, like working at a a successful startup is, is pretty de-risked, I think in, in
1: 2022. (laughs) Which is awesome. Which is why more people should do it. Definitely, definitely. I wanted to ask you about that, that journey though, because, you know, we're, we're joking about it a little, but, you know, you were supported by, and you said, and I think I read the in interview that you and your co-founder were both supported by your spouses sort of through your, your founding journey, but it was something like eight years, right. Between when you started working on this and when you actually raised your, your first round.
0: Yeah, definitely. It was a, it was a long time, but I, you know, the journey is not quite linear like that. Right. So, um, yeah. My co-founder and I had known each other since university. We were best friends. We were partners in every project, business or no business, the business fights or you know love aside, <laughs> ups and downs were like family and personal life. After engineering, he got into Johnson & Johnson's engineering leadership program, built software there. Then he did a startup. Um, that startup didn't work out. He felt he needed to pick up some accounting and finance skills, so he went and studied accounting. And that unique combo Mm -hmm. of engineering and accounting took him to the world of tax credits, right? Because um, globally, hundreds of billions of dollars are given in R&D tax credits and government funding to fund innovation because innovation drives the economy. Mm -hmm. But the problem is the application process is cumbersome, it's prone to expensive yep. audits, and it takes a long time to get the money. It's, it's, it's basically you gotta, you gotta dig into the tech you're building and write these long reports. And you know accountants t- typically don't understand technology. So he had this unique combination of engineering and accounting that he could prepare this report. Um, and after engineering, I moved to the US, worked in product and growth at a number of venture backed companies that didn't quite work out. Um, and then moved to San Francisco and around that time, he called me, and uh, you know, just when I was sort of considering moving from Philly, uh, before my wife even even got a fellowship, he's like, "Hey, we should do a company together." And um, I I think this r tax credits is interesting. It's a cumbersome process. It's prone to frustrating orders. It Takes a long time to get the money. We should do something in that. But we can explore other ideas too. Back then, the culture of hustle porn was pretty strong <laughs> in this in the startup ecosystem. Still is, I think. Yeah. Uh, to some extent. And so my CEO of the, uh, at the company that I was working at, I was I was running growth there. Um, he would say, I see everyone as lemons and I want to squeeze as much as possible. And I have been in oh, the office. God. I, I would be in the office till 8, 9 p.m., 10 p.m. sometimes. And one week I started going home early, like six, right? I got a yeah, yeah. So like few days, he watched that, and he sent me an email. He's like, I he's like, I just like it when you're in the office till eight, nine o'clock, and the last to leave. Um, I see you're going home at six or earlier this week. Um, I'm worried you're checked out uh, mentally. Um, your wife is in residency; she's a resident. What else do you have going on that you need to go? And my parents oh my were my, my parents were visiting in town from Toronto that week, and that's why I was I had to leave early. And that day is when Alex called me and I cried. I'm like, Alex, man, I don't care what we build. Uh, if I can build a company that I wanna work for, I'm in. Yeah. We didn't have money, right? So when you're bootstrapped, you don't have the liberty to build software on day one. You gotta sell stuff and then build it, right? So we're like, okay, right. you know what? Let's wizard of Oz this. Let's sell enough customers. Let's deliver the service manually. And then if it sticks, we'll build software. But in parallel, we worked on a number of other startups. We did automatically. And automatically was a chatbot in 2013-14. And that time, there was no concept really? of chatbot. It was using AI to automatically respond to customer service agents like a real human, right? And, and so we deployed it. Lots of people were signing up and then they're like, it's, it's shooting gib- gibberish. And then we realized we did all our customer development on large enterprises, but Zendesk customers were at the time were small 20, 30 uh, sort of employee businesses that were dealing with small businesses and they didn't just didn't have enough historical data for us to look up and pull insight and respond like a real human. So we ended up shattering that, but if I knew... Then what I know now, the one thing is clear, customers want an outcome, they don't want software. Your job Mm -hmm. in the early days when you do that MVP is to get them that outcome by any means possible. Um and then we launched a conference company, uh, Cloud Factory, that uh, that didn't quite work out. We did a massive conference and then we had a partner that ran off with most of the money and all the money. And, oh my god. And, and we were stuck with that and we were like, oh man, misery. And then um things got tight, and um, you know, Byron Dieter at Bessemer was uh, had the idea to launch Speakeasy, which was um a calling app for salespeople, and he was putting together that team. So I ended up joining that team. Uh, took a couple months off, traveled, and you know, connected back with Alex. And I'm like, hey, Boast has, you know, we were t- talking, he's like, you know, I think, I think it's time to like double down on Boast. And I'm like, you know what? At least you have customers. Those customers are paying us. Now yeah. you have the revenue. So we're like, we'll use that revenue to build software. Customers want an outcome. Yeah. And inadvertently, we, you know, it, it it was perfect. Customers were paying us for an outcome. And we were delivering them, them that outcome. And so then we're like, okay, what are all the manual things we're doing? We're collecting their data proactively through the year versus an accounting firm who goes and says, hey, tell me what you did in R&D. Here we were collecting, meeting them regularly collecting this data. Right. So we're like, how do we automate that? Then how do we apply some business logic based on that? And then how do we apply some workflow and all? So like it was it was, mm-hmm. it was a wonderful way to bootstrap because you got all these customers that were already paying you. Now you take them and you put them on software. And that's how, you know, um, 2017 was Bo- Boast Capital Consulting was pivoted to Boast.ai in 2017. Jason Lemkin, been a mentor, huge fan of him. He gave us a free booth at the 2017 Saster. That's where we nice. launched... And then that was the journey from 2017 to 2020 went to almost eight figures bootstrap with no outside funding. And then we were able to raise a significant round. And, um, in 2020, December, we were 30 ish people and, uh, 2021, December, we were 130 people. So
1: crazy, crazy journey. Love that. Yeah. I mean, it's so important for people to hear that kind of stuff, like, The whole, you know, overnight success, like stuff that people see. And again, like you said, the hustle porn and all this kind of stuff. And I mean, even going back to something you said right at the start, which was about, you know, squeezing lemons and treating people that way, like, and you wanting to build this company that you want to work at, like, it shows that that mentality is what works best. And you have to learn from all these failures and try different things and experiment. And then you bring those learnings with you forward and you can make an incredibly successful company with no money, like that's such a, a uncommon story to hear. So I love I love uh, hearing about, you know, everything you went through leading up to that.
0: Yeah, and that's why, you know, I had to unpack it a little bit because it wasn't as simple as, hey, we built Post for eight years. There were many other <laughs> things we did in parallel because at the time also, if you went and told people that, oh, you know what, I'm building technology to automate tax alerts you will be like, what the hell, right? So we weren't sure we were bootstrapping so we needed to feed ourselves and so customer revenue plus we tried a bunch of other sexy sort of startups that didn't work out so there there was a lot of like ups and downs through that journey right it's like the drunken founder journey like you think you're up and then you're down and this fails and there's a lot of uncertainty but the one thing is clear and you know i run the traction community we got about 110,000 mm-hmm. subscribers. I interviewed two people every week. L- yesterday, I interviewed Jason. Nice. And he's like, I don't believe in the concept of serial entrepreneur. Once you've found something that could be great, mm-hmm. why not keep building it? Look at Larry Ellison. He's the richest guy in SaaS. Why not keep building it? Why why like sell early, do stuff uh, more and more? He's like at 10 million ARR, even if you grow 50% year over year, in nine years, you're a billion dollar company. So yeah. he's like, why do something else and restart? Because it's gonna take you four or five years to catch up. Um, and you yeah. know what, I had to internalize that. And I thought about it through the night and I'm like, yeah, that's, that's true actually, right? And if you look at some of these big successes like the Stripes or the Twilio's or the sales forces, they all sort of, you know, on the way to 50 million in revenue, have a second act. They have a second sort of mm-hmm. product that uh, yeah. becomes bigger than the first product, right? Like Salesforce's CRM is probably uh, third in revenue to their service uh, cloud business right. kind of thing, right? So you gotta have a second product and a third product and each one becomes bigger than the other and route to hundred and beyond. And I got, you know what? Once you've found it, once you've hit product market fit, once reality starts to sort of sink in in the post 10 million sort of phase, and then you're like, okay, this thing can be really, really big. Now I got to just mm-hmm. keep my customers and then grow them.
1: Exactly. Get, get the, that revenue, net revenue retention over time. That's, that's where the magic happens. But that's awesome that you and Jason are, are so close and that he's had such an impact on you as a, as a founder and as you've grown the company. How did you guys get to know each other?
0: So, you know, my biggest hack for getting to know influential people is to proactively reach out to them and offer to help them for free. It's like you're becoming their intern. Uh, They may not need anything. I was hosting a lot of events. Jason, I cold emailed him. He came and spoke at our event, uh, the Traction event. And I'll tell you the story behind that in 2015. And then I proactively reached out to him and I went, hey, man, I have a lot of speakers. I have a big community. Can I help? Can I promote? And I always like overextended to help and promote. And I Mm -hmm. helped him in the early years. And you know what? I may have not helped him as much as he paid me back with his help free booth or uh, the last IRL conference he had in 2019, our closing keynote dropped off and he bailed us out last minute by coming to speak. Um, All kinds of stuff he's done, right? Like uh, intros, advice, you know, he's not a formal Mm -hmm. mentor, but like he's always gracious with his time and that's its Mm -hmm. uh, value in gold or beyond gold, right? Uh, and so I've done that with a lot of people that I respect. I proactively reach out to them and offer to help them. Any meeting I go, I go to or attend, I try to walk away with one thing I can connect the person with, and then I make that connection right yeah. away. Because there's this principle of reciprocity. When you help enough people get what they want, like Zig Ziglar says, you'll get everything you want. And it's not it's not something you know that I came up with, but it's it's in my DNA. So. My parents are from India. I was born in Kuwait, was a refugee of the Gulf War. My parents were working in Kuwait, hence Mm -hmm. I was born there. Back in the day, everyone from Southeast Asia would go to the Middle East to work, and now now everyone's going to US, Canada. My mom grew up in the slums. She had nine siblings, and they lived in the slum. They didn't have their own bathroom, right? If you look at Slumdog Millionaire, that's that's what it was. And I'd go there, and they were in Mumbai, and Mumbai is considered the New York of India. Whenever I'd go Mm -hmm. there, I'd see like some... Person from out of town there, right? From from a different city because they're giving them shelter while they get their bearings. And I asked them right. like, "Why do you guys? You guys barely have space for for yourselves. Why are you letting all these people come in?" I always heard from my mom, dad, grandparents that um, when you give, you should never expect anything in return. But the karma will always come back, and you'll get it. You'll you'll get it in return. Maybe not from those people. And today. None of my mom's siblings live in those slums. They're all very well off, and I feel like a lot of what I am today is inherited karma and blessings from the deeds of my parents and my grandparents. You know, when we started boast, uh, and even before boast, we, you know, felt that as as struggling entrepreneurs ourselves why not bring the community together and everyone learn together? So we started hosting pizza nights and would invite speakers every time. And uh, and we'd invite a bunch of founders to show up. And every time we'd host those pizza nights, more and more people would come. Like five turned into 50, 50 turned into hundred. And then it got so big that we said, we'll host a conference. Then that conference evolved into a hundred plus events a year, two webinars a week. Our YouTube channel has 1.5 million views. It's turning into a podcast. A book is coming out on it, IRL conference, and we donate all the profits. We call it our community traction. I'm a big believer in community-led growth. I'm speaking a lot about it on that topic. And um, we call it the community traction because we didn't want people to feel that they have to come to learn, but also be sold to. We didn't call it the Boast yep. community. We call it traction, so people f- genuinely felt that uh, they can come and learn. And still today, I get uh, great praise for it. We do two webinars a week, we get average like 500 to 1000 people show up each session, promote the Tuesday session on Sunday, the Thursday session on Wednesday, it's live and then and then we record it, put it on YouTube and then uh, post it on the podcast. Genuinely, like I got COVID, I almost died from COVID. And you can see the messages on my LinkedIn saying the karma of the community won't let you go so, so quickly. Right. And and I fundamentally yeah. believe that the joy of giving is second to none and you become the collective good that you put out there. And it's not bullshit. It's it's true. It's how, how I, I lead our, lead my life. And, um, yeah. you know, we donate the profits on traction. We don't make money from it. Yeah. That is really important. It's funny. I was on the traction session show yesterday. And Jason's like, put me on the spot. He's like, you got to tell me about boast. I'm like, ah, oh, it's not about boast. And he's like, no. And then he's like, he flipped the script and he's like, let's use boast as a case study. And he plugged boast yesterday more than I have ever plugged boast across 300 plus sessions I've done for traction. Right? Yeah. And that's huge. So that, that just, uh, you know, I'm a big believer in that. And, you know, if people don't believe in that, just try it, you know? When you see somebody else smile, it brings joy to you, it brings you mental peace, and it brings you calm.
1: Today's show is brought to you by Catalyst Software, the fastest growing customer success platform on the market. Catalyst gives you unmatched customizability, a seamless bi-directional Salesforce integration that takes less than five minutes to set up, and a world-class customer success team that'll be by your side every step of the way. Let's be honest, whatever you're currently using might be good enough. But is good enough really what you're aiming for? Take your CS team to the next level by switching to Catalysts today. To learn more, visit Catalyst.io. And if you aren't looking for a CS platform right now, you should subscribe to our newsletter and follow us on LinkedIn anyways. I make daily memes, we host all sorts of events, and we love to give away our swag, which has been called the comfiest swag in the industry. Again, check out Catalyst.io to learn more. I absolutely love that. And I i mean, I'd read before, you know, your, some of your stuff and talking about your, your value, central value being give before you take. And it's something that has been one of your core philosophies, which I love. And and community led growth is what we every company should be focused on. Like it, it's, I mean, not even from a growth perspective, even though it will help you achieve insane amount of growth, but just like it's going to seep into your culture. It's going to seep into your product. It's going to seep into everything that you do, because if you're putting good things out there and helping other people for the sake of helping other people, like that will translate into your culture and your productivity in a million other ways that you haven't seen, or even like you said, just even building that good karma and building that great. I mean, even if people don't like the use of, of the word karma to describe it, building up brand equity, right? Like building up whether it's personal equity for yourself or brand equity as a company. You disagree. Definitely.
0: Yeah. No, I, I agree with all of those points, but you know, that is the outcome. If you don't have mm-hmm. the DNA of giving, you shouldn't build a community because it's eventually going to come across as contrived. So this in the last six right. months, in the last six to eight months, I've been invited by many VCs and many organizations to come and give talks on community-led growth. I have a book coming out on community-led growth in August. Um, we'll launch out at our attraction. And I tell people, there are much faster ways to get predictable revenue than building a community. So don't come and tell me that oh, it's the hot buzzword of the year, You know product, uh, product-led growth was the hot buzzword of the year before, and it's still hot, but now community-led growth. Like, don't tell me that you're building it for that. You need to have a DNA for giving, because if you yeah. don't, it's gonna be contrived. And it needs executive buy-in, like Kevin, right? Your your, your founders at, at Canvas. They're huge proponents of community. They give without even mm-hmm. thinking. HubSpot, Darmesh, sure. right? Yeah. He, they're all community Massive. builders I- inherently, and uh, you know Jason Lemkin, right? Y- you name it. Yeah, you have to. You have to sort of give without thinking that you're going to get anything in return. When I look at when I look at a Kevin Chu or a Darmesh or like a Jason Lemkin, like all these people, like are inspirational, right? They, I fundamentally believe this, yesterday's novel technology becomes today's option and tomorrow's table stick. Everything eventually becomes a commodity. But if you build a community, you will not become a commodity. Think about it. Fall in love with your customer, make them successful beyond your product or service if you build a community, you won't become a commodity. That's my background on LinkedIn. That's the philosophy I, I live by. And, and a perfect example, why go far? Two two examples. Nike. Nike sells mm-hmm. shoes. It's a commodity. Do they t- do they brag about their anti-wicking technology or whatever uh, next feature is there? They celebrate athletes and athletics. Harley-Davidson almost went bankrupt like 20, 30, yeah. 30, 30, 40 years ago. You know, how did they turn the company around? By building a community around the joys of riding. And now there's Harley clubs and Harley clubs to fix stuff and ride together, all of that. That's of how course. the company turned around and became a multi-billion dollar company. If you build a community, you won't become a commodity. Now, do you need to build a community to build a long lasting company? Probably not because there are multiple other ways to grow. But eventually- yeah, It's one strategy. You're Eventually you'll start seeing communities first around the practice that you're supporting and then around the product right
1: yeah sometimes they just crop up organically because people want it and and you're right like i 100 percent agree like founders have to have it in their dna in order for it to be the strategy that they use other product other leaders are just like product geniuses and product-led growth is the way that they're going to build and grow and then organically communities will pop up on stack overflow or on reddit on whatever for people to talk about using the product and then you know, sometimes that gets folded in later on, but yeah, it's the, it's the authenticity that, that matters most of all. And because people see through the bullshit right away, if you're doing community as a growth strategy and it's about, and, and, you know, the second they join a community thing or they attend an event and the follow-up is now get a demo of our product. Like you'll instantly lose trust and disengage with people. So I'm glad to see it being more prominent. Definitely a lot of people still doing it wrong, but I'm excited to to see a lot of companies doing it really well. I assume you know Mac Redden, right, at ComSor?
0: At ComSor, yeah, yeah. I don't know him personally, but I've heard of ComSor. And, like, you know, the, all these products are popping up right now because even now, I don't use any products. It's a combination of uh, Slack and, and Zoom because I think a lot of the technology there is nascent. And I fundamentally believe that technology comes last, process comes first. You need to map out the process and do it manually and then figure out how do you automate it. If you try to automate... Uh, community is about heart-to-heart connection and genu- and being genuine and helping and giving. Um, you can't automate that in the in the in the beginning. And another question to ask yourself or other leaders, and and you know it's beyond a question. You need to observe their actions. Is do you care about power, money, or impact? And if you look at this theme, right? People who care about power very deeply, and 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 you know they may say I don't care about power, but just look at their actions. Are they? what are they doing that shows that they care about power? People who care about power destroy relationships in the long-term. They don't wanna make Mm -hmm. the pie bigger because they want the control. People who care about money make very short-term decisions, right, like the Mm -hmm. Wall Street or whatever. If you wanna build something long-lasting, you gotta focus on impact. And the way to build impact is by building a community.
1: Definitely, I mean, it's, I, for me it's a, it's a bit of a balance i don't know i wouldn't say i disagree but i would say that like one of the things i i find it sometimes hard to strike a balance between is like you need a degree of power and money in order to create an impact in to a certain extent you can do a lot for very little but the more, theoretically, the more power and money you have, the more of an impact you're then able to have. You can take things global. You can buy products that will enable you to scale the impact that you're making. So, and I mean, I'd be curious. Like, uh, definitely, I, definitely,
0: agree, definitely agree with that. But I'm not saying it from, from that vein, right? Like you need a little bit of power. You need a it's little like bit of money. Yeah, like if, it's like the ultimate goal. Yeah. It's like where's
1: their end state?
0: Yeah. If all you care about is money, 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 and you're thinking about squeezing the last dollar, then you're going to make penny wise pound foolish decisions, right? You're going to be like, oh, I'm going yeah. to optimize for for what's on the balance sheet this quarter. Or if you're like ultimately thinking about, oh, I need to control everything. I need to control everything. Then you end up giving nobody any autonomy and everyone shit yeah. scared of you. That's, that's what I'm more talking about. I mean, you need a balance of all three with like impact at a very high level.
1: 100%. Ultimately, everything should theoretically lead into impact for your friends, your family, your community, like whatever you're doing in life. If your ultimate goal is money and power, you're going to be a pretty sad person to be around. So um, definitely align there. I, I wanted to ask you about your close call with COVID. Like it, it seemed really scary from everything I was reading and seeing. What was, I mean, I, I'm sure people are tired, like I've been hearing a lot about pandemic and we're you know, Omicron spike right now in New York, but I'm, I do think there's a lot of value in hearing sort of what came out of that experience for you, and, and did it? Were there any sort of fundamental ways that it changed you?
0: You know, Kevin also went through the same thing, and he went a, had a very hard uh, time, and he was very helpful to me because he'd send me messages and resources. Yeah, you know, my whole family got it uh, just after our fundraise announcement. And, uh, Jan second last year rolled around, I woke up unable to breathe, was coughing blood, had to be put on oxygen, was in the hospital, man. man uh, my wife, despite being a doctor, at that hospital wasn't allowed to see me. So she set up a 24 uh-huh. seven zoom. And when she set up that 24 seven zoom, I freaked out. I'm like, jeez, I think I'm not going to come back from it. The pain was nothing like I experienced. I was coughing into may probably. Um, Right. I had this lingering cough pain. It was very hard, but it also forces you to think through a lot of things. Right. It forces you to think about um, what's important in life. And I realized if I just died today, you know, the one thing my biggest regret would be I didn't spend enough time with my family. I didn't see my kids growing up. I got two girls. I, I, now I have a boy as well. After that, we may, went and made another baby. <laughs> but uh, but uh, as soon as I you know got out of the hospital, I, how that works. But um, I, I, I had not I had not spent uh, enough time connecting with my kids, and you know I was very distant from them. Always on the phone, always work, always having this fast twitch to respond to the next message or text or Slack message or LinkedIn message or whatever. And and so I hadn't spent enough time with them and that would have been my biggest regret. I did not spend enough time with my kids and you don't wanna go like that, right? And so that was a big learning. And then, you know, you adjust and you make changes, but then we had fundraise. So we went, you know, we had to hire all these people and all this growth and all that stuff came along and, and you're running around. And then late summer, my daughter tells me, hey, you know, you said you are going to spend more time with the family and she's eight but you really mm-hmm. didn't right and i was my covid story was in the sf business journal so she's like all everything you said in there is like a lie and and i'm like you know wow now she called company, you out she called me out and she said you know because in the first two months that i came back i i did but then like i went back to old habits old habits die very hard yeah. right and and i told her that hey we're over 100 people right now and it's important to You know, make sure we care for everyone. Uh, and so that there's a lot of work. And she's like, Why don't you go and work for another founder like yourself? This is an eight year old. So you can spend more time with us. The smart eight year old. Yeah. And and so then I started to realize and I think founders don't do this enough. They don't hire you know, your job as a founder is to realize when you're an individual contributor, when you need to grow into a manager, and when you need to grow grow to an exec. Most founders don't bring execs soon enough. When you bring in execs, they take the load off significantly, right? And then you focus on recruiting, evangelizing the company, fundraising strategy, versus like, you know, trying to send the nth email blast or, you know, Chase yeah. fires, right? And I think we did the right thing. We hired a bunch of execs. My co-founder, Alex, is CEO of the company. The company is doing well. You know, at 130 people, I'm like the chief evangelist of the company. I'm speaking at events, podcasts. I'm spending a lot of time with my family. Me and my daughter um, are, are signing up for like parkour lessons together, break dancing. Nice. you know. Um, it's, a, it's, it's awesome. It's, and it's, it's funny. They went from saying mommy, mommy, mommy to daddy, daddy, daddy in the last week, right? And that's when the shoe dropped for me. Uh, and last you were like, night- You like, I won. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I felt like I achieved something, right? Um, last night, my daughter tells me that I really like how you're spending time with us, thank you. And that was, that, that really, uh, you know, the effort was helpful. I also did like a near 30 day digital detox. So on, on December 17th, I deleted all the apps from my phone. LinkedIn, Slack, Facebook—I only kept instant messaging on, uh, text messaging, mm-hmm. and uh, and so people can get a hold of me. But I deleted everything. So thirty days of doing that helped me realize that when I spend more time with my family, and that is important because you know, just my daughter saying in August that you spend no time with us and everything you said after COVID was a lie to, Daddy. You spend so much time with us. I love the new you. Thank you. Right? So that's the one. I don't feel FOMO anymore. I don't need, I don't have the need to have this fast twitch to, you know, any social or, you know, likes or whatever. Yeah. Right? Like uh, no desire to post. So like I, I lost it. I sleep better. I used to sleep really crappy four or five hours Now I'm sleeping like um, seven, eight hours a night. And I just overall nice. feel, I feel healthy. I'm able, I'm able to sort of think without interruption act without interruption behave without interruption eat with my family without interruption so those 30 days of uh, sort of I'll call it digital detox although it wasn't fully digital detox meaning I'd still every every day log into yeah, my laptop you weren't
1: in the cabin in the woods
0: yeah yeah so so the the thing there was I wanted to do something sustainable my apps are still off on my phone like I've I've, I've not downloaded mm-hmm. them back right and uh and so make an effort to just you you know if you're forced to just check in when you use your laptop that's great then you can shut off right
1: it's true i i i love that that hearing that and, and hearing sort of everything that came out of it i i started my new year's resolution like was to get you know more of a divide here and so i have a separate User account on my laptop. So when work is done, I log out of you know at a specific time. I log out of my work one, sign into my non-work one where I'm not logged into anything. I don't have any of my work stuff. Can't access it. Um, and that's been helpful. But my phone, like I I go back and forth. I'd love to delete Slack off my phone, but the the struggle I have, and it's probably one that you've had. I mean, I boast is that like I love what I do. I love my job. Like I love what I'm doing every day, even when it's hard. I still love it. And so sometimes I want to work more and it's like sort of bad to say, or feels weird to say, but it makes it harder to justify that divide between when I'm doing work and when I'm not doing work, you know?
0: Yeah. You know, life and business is a marathon and it's not a sprint. Right. And uh, it's important to put the oxygen mask on yourself. Your business is second. Like when you're on a plane, you got to put the oxygen on yourself before you put it on mm-hmm. your kid. Like, you know, your business, your work or your hobbies, because, I feel much stronger and more focused business-wise now in the last 30 days than I ever did because I've made time for myself. And so 2022 is not a year of personal goals for me because my co-founder, CEO of the company, we have all the execs, we have over 130 people. So they all have business goals, right? So my personal goals this year are every 30 days, I'm going to learn a new skill and I'm going to try to be, you know, Somewhat proficient at it. Nice. Uh, whether it's what's, calisthen- the, what's the next one? Um, so yeah, uh, you know, I'm trying to learn parkour. Uh nice. and I'll see if I can pick it up in, in in four to six weeks. I have a few things lined up. So one is uh, breakdancing. One is parkour. Yeah. Um, One is calisthenics. I really by June want to do yeah. a, a human flag. Uh, you, you see the those where, you, you Oh, when you're the on the
1: side of the bar, oh, yeah, and yeah, 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 yeah.
0: I, I want to <laughs> learn, I want to learn to DJ and I want to learn, uh,
1: bachata, Latin dancing. Oh, amazing. That sounds like a fun, fun six to nine months there.
0: Yeah. So my, my year started with, I'm going to chronicle my 30 days of digital detox. I spent that time in Mexico with my family and a lot of close friends. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chronicle that and then I'm going to talk about, okay, what do I do for the next 30 days? Chronicle that like every every skill I learn, because I think like, you know, when you learn other things, you become smarter because if you're an autopilot, you don't learn. Um, growth comes from pain and suffering. Pain is the precondition for growth. To grow, you got to learn new things. And if you learn new things personally, like I want to learn to speak Spanish. Can I accomplish that in 30 days? Let's see how proficient I can get <laughs> if I do it every day. I'm sure so like,
1: Duolingo can get you close.
0: Yeah. So when you when you push yourself and you fail and then you push and you fail and you push and you fail, and then you eventually get there, that grows your mind and that makes you stronger in business, right? And I found that because inadvertently as a bootstrap founder, I've had to learn everything from SEO to building yep. websites, uh, to doing sales, to running product, to running marketing, to building an email list of over a hundred thousand people—all of those things—I had to learn before I got good at it, right? And in, yeah. in a in a rapid fashion, often because when you bootstrap, if you don't learn learn these things in a rapid fashion, it could be the difference between you getting extra couple customers and eating, right? When you bootstrap, yeah. so I'm like, hey, can I like what else can I learn in rapid fashion? So that's, yeah. that's my goal for 2022 is a year of personal goals because I'm confident if I hit the personal goals, the business goals will get hit too.
1: You should do a, a subset in the traction community of like a 30-day challenge and have everyone see who else wants to do like a new skill every 30 days and share. It's always fun when you do it as a group, right when you're chasing after this stuff. Um, exactly. So it's one of the things it's- I love about community. You can keep each other motivated and, you know, share successes and failures and all that kind of stuff. I really want to learn the accordion this year. It's a very weird thing to want to learn, but I feel like it's such a cool instrument. That's that's on my list. But I may get evicted. So, <laughs>
0: I think I, I don't I think like I don't think I can learn an instrument, but that's why I'm I'm I enrolled in uh, DJ academy, so I'm going to start that next week. We'll nice. see. We'll, I'll start I'll start a few things and then if I really like something, I'll go deep on it for 30 days and see where I land. Maybe I'll um, I'll be the resident DJ at the at all the SAS parties next year.
1: Yeah, Jason can hire you for SaaS Day.
0: <laughs> yeah, man.
1: That's awesome, I'll come man. To all,
0: all All the, all the SAS and the tech events, DJ
1: Lobo in the house. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. We'll no, DJ Boast. I like DJ. Yeah, yeah. Man, DJ Lobo's pretty sweet. Well, last thing I really wanted to dig a bit deeper into because I really love your approach to business and community, and and it's been great hearing about it. I heard you say in a podcast that you know your teammates would come work with you anywhere, and then that that's what matters to you most of all. I think from a you know recruiting is hard standpoint, everyone can relate to why that's that's the most important thing. But I think with you, it's it's a much more of an emotional thing, and I'm I'm curious, you know, why that's so important to you, and what is that actually look like at a company? Cause I think culture is very, you know, there's a lot of things you know, words that we can say and things that sound nice, but when it push comes to shove, you know, how does that manifest boast attraction at, at everything that you're doing?
0: You know, when you hire an exec and when they're joining, if they can't bring other people that they worked at, more importantly, they're not pushing those other people to come work for them, but those other people want to go there like, listen, I'm not going to stick around here if you're going there, I'm coming. If they can't bring a few yeah. people, then that's a red flag. When when Eric yeah, Yuan started Zoom, he, he had 30 engineers join him. Right? From I don't think sure. he needed to do heavy heavy that. recruiting. Heavy recruiting, yeah, that's what Jason Lemkin told me. And so that is important like and and the way I look at it is you know, everyone sees business as a very transactional thing. Life and business is a marathon, it's not a sprint. Two things transcend companies, relationships and passion. If you have strong relationships and bonds with people, those carry companies, right? I, I, mm-hmm. I, I build friendships, I don't build transactions. The second thing is passion. If I'm passionate about a task or skill, people quit bad managers. If I'm really mm-hmm. passionate about a skill or task or whatever, I mean, leave this company and go to it somewhere else. So your passion and, and, and your relationships transcend companies. So when we shut down Speakeasy, our, one of our sales reps, account executives or, uh, in, in the US, he didn't leave till the last day. We were the last people to leave, right? Everyone else landed jobs elsewhere. And he went to Intercom. He had a job at Intercom. Intercom is doing so well right
1: now.
0: Yeah. And he, he gave up that three years ago to come work for Boast. Nice. You know, J- Jason Lemkin calls these people the romantics. They're passionate about the leader <laughs> and they're, they're passionate about your mission and your purpose. And there's a lot of people yeah. like that, right? And that's what relationships can can do for you, right? So it's, it's, it's a matter of, it's a badge of honor for me that anyone I've worked with would come and work with me again. And that's what matters the most, right? It's not the money in your bank that matters. It's the people around your tombstone
1: That's important. I love that. I mean, it's critical. I mean, I saw Edward did the same thing with with digital and and Kevin from DigitalOcean. Like when Edward came, the early days of Catalyst was was DigitalOcean people. So I think that's a great, I hadn't thought of that before, though, as a sort of an indicator, especially when you're hiring hiring executives to look for, um, you know, non-competes aside or non-recruits aside. um, If people want to follow them where they're going, that's an incredible sign that that person's an amazing executive. Definitely definitely. Awesome. Well, Lloyd, I can't thank you enough for for spending time with me. It was an awesome conversation. I'm excited to keep following on, on your journey and let me know if I can ever help you with anything.
0: Likewise, man. Always great to connect with a fellow Canadian in the United States. Love and peace, brother. Yes.
1: Thanks so much for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, please rate us five stars and leave a review. Make sure to subscribe. And if you want to reach out to us, our email is community at getcatalyst.io.